I'm Commander Shepard, and VGS is my favorite radio show on the Citadel. Here's Video Game Sophistry, your one-stop shop for video games, news, reviews, and time-wasting fun. In a world that is getting scarier by the day, future sometimes can feel uncertain. Here at Video Game Sophistry, we like to take a moment and look at something that you can always rely on, something that's always there for you. It requires batteries or access to an outlet, and it can transport you to a magical, beautiful world or challenge you in ways that you didn't realize mattered so much to you to get that high score or beat that 11th grader in Pokemon. This is Video Game Sophistry, the show where we talk all about the video game universe, the culture, the people in it. We love to talk to the people that make games and, of course, the people that play it. I'm joined by the people that do play games. Thomas Hyde, Liam Brand, Anton Mack with a much longer last name, but we call him Anton Mack. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Happy to be here. Doing great. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) They got it. They settled it. Wonderful. Uh, I know, Anton, you had a bit of fun earlier this week. You had a chance to uh, fulfill a lifelong dream. You got to fight uh, Gary from Pokemon. Uh, his name wasn't exactly Gary, no. but it was Bennett Piercy, who is the national champion of a uh, national Pokemon champion of 2015. So that was pretty cool. Um, he's also an 11th grader. And <laughs> was he really? Yeah. Whoa! Isn't that amazing? Didn't know that. This Dude, 11th tall. grader has achieved more than I. Wow. Yeah. Let's not think about that too much. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing, Thomas? I'm pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. You let your hair down for this time. Yeah, I was feeling a little stifled. Yeah. Well, speaking of stifled, so nice we say it twice, <laughs> Liam Brand, you're I'm, pretty grouchy. No, never in a million years. Never in a million years. Liam has been awful today. Just, no, he's all right. <laughs> we're going to get through it. Uh, today, we're talking about a game franchise that I've talked about ad nauseum to the point that everyone here is kind of sick of it, but damn it, my name's on the marquee, so that's what we're doing. <laughs> Thomas, hit me up. Slept for hundreds of years. That's the voice from the coming. Dreaming of a new home. But when we finally awoke, our dreams of peace were shattered. Okay, that could be any sort of uh, techno sci-fi thing, but it's Mass Effect Andromeda. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our retrospective Mass Effect show. Come on, round of applause. We're going to have a great time here. Clap, 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 clap. So you can cut that down. Okay. We'll be talking all about the new game, Mass Effect Andromeda, that's coming out next year. Uh, guys, have you been following the news at all with it? No. I'm gonna go in cold. Yeah, going cold. Yeah. Nothing. I've, I've been keeping up to date uh, with the with the big facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, gotta gotta keep up with the video game news when you're on video game software. You do because I yelled really loud. If you're not right ready, right in my ear, it happens. Anton, I've dabbled mostly the stuff that you yell at me. Yeah, <laughs> well, get ready for more of that because uh, right after our break in a little bit, I'm gonna go really in depth of pretty much everything we know right now about Mass Effect Andromeda, and there's some big, big changes. It's a different story. And after that, we're going to talk about romances. We're going to talk about gameplay mechanics in these games. And Thomas and I have been working on a little special segment for later in the show that is very special to me. It's something that um, kind of indicates all of the hard work that we've done here over the years. So keep listening for that. Before we get to that, though, we do have to stick with tradition and listen to some Tom Jones. What's new, pussycat? Whoa! 
What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Classic What's New, Pussycat. Always great. And this is, of course, the feature where we talk about games that are coming out Sunday to Sunday in the next seven days in case you want to get your hands on it. Uh, not a lot, right? Not. I know there's one little game that uh, one person here is a little bit excited for. Technically two little games. Two little games. The same What's the other one? Name. Aha! <laughs> yeah. Someone's been reading. <laughs> Pokemon uh, Sun and Pokemon Moon. Woo! <laughs> so... <laughs> If you have it, well, these guys already know, but if you don't know, it is the journey of a young trainer across a new region. It's mm-hmm. Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever, man. No, hold Pokemon, on. Let them do, yeah. do the bylines. Let them yeah. do the graphics. Come on. Yeah, so it's the adventure of a young trainer, Thomas, across a. His name's not Thomas. <laughs> across a new region called the Alola region, which is based off of, I guess. Hawaii, more oh. islandy stuff like that. There's a bunch of new things in this one, so it's not just basic Pokemon anymore. A bunch of the first-generation Pokemon have new forms. So, for example, the Vulpix, which is a fire Pokemon, is now ice and fairy. Um, they've included these new things called Z-moves, which are moves that you can only use once per battle. Um, new 3D graphics, and um, that's... Yeah, they're kind of. It. it's a new Pokemon game. We, yeah. we do kind of know what it is. When's it coming out? That is coming out November 18th. Okay, so very, very soon. Very, very excited. Uh, of course, Liam, a game that you love. Not really. Yeah, well, loved. You know, yeah. uh, it's the Amnesia Collection, which is a collection of the three titles in the uh, survival horror series, uh, The Dark Descent, Justine, and A Machine for Pigs. Uh, I got, I have quite a few good memories yeah. uh, of this game, especially when The Dark Descent first came out. Um, you know, I discovered it through, like, various YouTubers, um, doing their like let's plays of it and i mm-hmm. think that's really the game that helped like launch uh, guys like PewDiePie, who is obviously now the most popular youtubers on yeah, the planet millions but of dollars 11 million dollars a year i i think like um honestly a lot of his fame like or his huge spike in popularity can be attributed to uh, amnesia it's just a hilarious game to uh watch your friends play terrifying to play yourself um and it's gonna be 29.99 a little bit steep Considering yeah, they're old Steve. games, uh, but you know what? It is remastered, though. It, it and is. And for the first time on PS4. So I guess for people that don't have PCs that uh, you know want to get their hands on it and see what it's all about, they do get a chance to. Yeah. You know, I, I give it a, 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 thumb, a thumbs up recommendation. It's like it's on par with, uh, you know, like Outlast, I'd say, like pretty yeah. pretty tight. I don't know. Too scary for me. And also, But I, I do remember that that game gave me my favorite line in all of gaming. What? Uh, it's when a group of guys were playing this and one guy got so upset that right before there was a scary moment, another person just screamed, oh crap, I got a bag of Milky Ways. And then another character who you were seeing playing the game was attacked and just went, ah! and passed out and like, it was brilliant. It was incong- incongruous. It was so weird. Loved it so much. And uh, finally, we do have to take a quick break just after this is one final game that is coming out. Batman Episode 4 of the Telltale Creation. Uh, I don't want to give you too many spoilers here. Hunter, one of our interns, added a lot of spoilers. So thanks for that, Hunter. Really appreciate (laughs) it. It's coming out this Tuesday, Xbox One, PS4. And yeah, it should be really, really awesome. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back right after this.
You're listening to VGS on Talk Radio, AM 640. Back here with our Mass Effect extravaganza. Yes, we're spending nearly the entire hour. No, you know what? Let's save for the rest of the entire hour talking all about those three games. Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. And, of course, the new one coming out next year, Mass Effect Andromeda. Coming up soon, we're going to have our special treats made by Thomas and I. We worked very, very hard. We baked it just for you. But before you have your dessert... You have to have your dinner. I'm joined this uh, segment, of course, by Liam Brand. Anton had to step out for a moment, but he'll be back. Also known as the expert of everything ever. I don't think he's ever been called that, but he... By everyone. Sorry, nope. Go ahead. He has been... I, you're you're a fan of Mass Effect. Everyone kind of is a fan, but you, you would... Yeah, you identify yourself as a fan. How much have you really seen, heard, experienced of Mass Effect Andromeda? Uh, not nearly enough. A frustrating small amount <laughs> okay well let me anyone who's listening it's a new game coming up from bioware and it extends the mass effect universe there's different characters different mechanics different engine all very very different but let's take just a, a little bit of time to really talk about what this game would be because for months if not years actually bioware has kept their lips shut tight Way too many E3s go by where yeah. it's just, uh, you know, more concept art, more behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, stuff, but no real substance. And finally, it's all start. The floodgates are opening. Tech demos are the spawn of Satan. Yes. I've said it once. I'll say it again. So let's take a moment to learn all about Mass Effect Andromeda. The founder of the Mass Effect Andromeda Initiative is a woman by the name of Jen Garson. In the story, she invites you to become a pathfinder in this new test, this new phenomenon, which is backed by entrepreneurs and philanthropists to try to bring the species of this particular galaxy to a new one, the Andromeda Galaxy. And in order to do that, they have to use cryosleep. It'll take 600 years of travel. So that's a very creative way that the team at uh, Mass Effect has been able to kind of dissuade and dilute some of the issues that they might have had with um, Mass Effect 3's ending. It happens right in the middle between Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. It has nothing to do with the Alliance, which is, of course, the organization that um, Shepard in the original games was involved with, and is not even really a council or government thing. It's a separate private project. It's Elon Musk, essentially, right now trying to go to Mars with SpaceX and trying to get a bit of NASA, but it's not really involved with everything that's going on. It's something that's aware in popular culture, but not something that's integral to the story of the first three. I had no idea of any of that. Starting off great. So you play as a Pathfinder. We said it before, and the official statement, a Pathfinder is a combat-trained but untested explorer leading an exposition to the Helios Cluster, which is in the Andromeda Galaxy, And it's to establish a new home for humanity. We don't know if it's uh, particularly to do with the Reaper threat or if it is just like what we heard before, you know, moneymakers trying to uh, make money and start a new world. Because that's a great way to make money if you literally own all of the planets in it. So you are going on this quest. You are on a vehicle called the Nexus. It's an arc. So it's named an arc very aptly because it has all of humanity's important um, genetic information. And what would be the last remaining humans, wouldn't it? What do you mean? Like ever. Well, since 
uh, big spoilers for Mass Effect 3. Oh, yeah. Depending everyone on, everywhere is dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on how Mass Effect 3 ends. So it could be the literally the last hope for all of these races because there's three arcs and they apparently hold a multitude of different species. For some reason, I guess um, xenophobia, humans get their own arc. Yeah. <laughs> kind of great. And um, it's pretty great because they are introducing the family dynamic. You are being led by your dad, Alec Ryder. He was the voice that we heard in the trailer previously. Clancy Brown, who's, uh, if you guys have seen the HBO, or rather the Netflix series, Daredevil, season two, mm -hmm. he is the blacksmith. Oh. Yeah, so a very well-known character, incredible voice. He's your dad. I don't think things end up too well for him because apparently he's not involved in the story much after that. And you have a choice to play as either Ryan or Sarah Ryder. From what the developers have said, once you make that choice, that other family member is not actually going to be in your squad, but they're not going to die like they did in Dragon Age 2. So there's a lot of people believing that you will, in fact, be facing your family member in some sort of way, that they play more of an antagonistic role. And we talked about this off air. That is a crazy, amazing, really, really cool type of uh, viewpoint to take. I think that is so interesting. I think it adds weight and history to the characters. Uh, Liam, we looked at what's a game that you think is coming out that really does this well, already is grabbing that by the throat. Yeah, the whole family dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think if we're looking at other upcoming games, God of War uh, 4 definitely fits into that. Oh, yeah. Uh, that category of adding a family member uh, who you don't necessarily uh, play as, but that really adds this entirely new mechanic and dynamic to the gameplay or to the mm -hmm. story experience. Absolutely. Well, let's go really quickly back to Mass Effect. There's some new species there, namely one, the cat. With the whole cat race, we wanted it to be foreboding, but never to the point of being ugly. And you still want to be able to empathize with these guys, because depending on how, we, we have a lot of side stories, we have a lot of stories we want to tell with this alien race. So despite how foreboding or scary they are, or antagonistic, you still want to be able to have opportunities to show them in an empathizing or an empathetic way. So yeah, again, playing up the eyes was really important on some of our main cat characters. And then obviously there, there's a certain militaristic element to these guys, so having a some form of armor was important, and that's why we went with the uh, the bone armor. That is, of course, the team at Game Informer who had a chance to speak with the guys at BioWare. We will tell you more about the cat, about the remnants, about a cute little Asari named PB. Yes, these are some people you will soon love. Right after this, gotta take a quick break. Andrew Rikowski, VGS Talk Radio, AM640. You're listening to VGS on Talk Radio, AM 640. Back here again, Andy Burkowski speaking all about Mass Effect Andromeda. It's our special Mass Effect show. We've already introduced you to some of the cast of characters in this upcoming game. We're, of course, joined by Thomas and Liam. I'm extolling them with all the virtues of the next Mass Effect game. We left off talking about a species called the cat. We had some great audio from a Game Informer interview recently with the team. The cats, if you've seen any of the recent trailers, are the species of the new main bad guy. Like uh, the Bioware employee said, he looks more organic. Think of Javik or the Collectors from the first games and add in a lot more fungus, a lot more uh, bones, a lot more 
of a kind of almost water-based. It looks like it's a creature that should live in water. If you take out some coral reef and give it a face and a real dubious voice, you have the bad guy for this upcoming game. We don't know much more than that, but it is a very different, very alien look than the other aliens that we're used to so far. So we have that, Liam Brand. You with me? Oh, I'm with you. Okay. I'm, li- I'm liking the sounds of this. Yeah, so we have that, and then from there we have another species. They're the bad guys, just so everybody knows. Or are they? And there's another species called the remnants. From what we've seen so far in the trailers and what's been leaked, it's believed that the remnants are, in fact, kind of the progenitors of this universe, This, excuse me, this galaxy. They created a lot of this amazing new technology that the people who are involved in the Andromeda Initiative want to take advantage of. In the trailers, um, there's one instance where you're playing as Ryan Ryder and you're trying to activate this kind of gravity well. It's believed that was technology from the remnants. So there's likely to be some kind of duality of good and evil. Maybe the fungus people don't want you messing with the remnants, kind of tying back to the Citadel and the Protheans from the first one mm-hmm. a little bit. So they might be rehashing uh, some familiar ground there. But in addition to the very familiar stories that we're used to, this time around, you're going to get the chance to do a whole lot more. So you're going to get a chance to go in a vehicle. Again, you remember the vehicle from the Mass Effect 1? Yeah, Mako. that was a nightmare to control. <laughs> Just an it was absolute... It's called the Mako. Right? The Mako. Yeah. Mako, Mako. Not the Mako. You're Mako me right now. Tomato, tomato, Mako, Mako. No, wrong. Whatever. I really enjoyed using that thing. Yeah, it was super fun. It was love. Liam, it, was fun. Yeah. it was a nightmare to control, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm excited to see that comeback. Yeah, it's, sure. this one is now called the Nomad, apparently. Oh. And uh, the game designers are promising you're, you're in a ship called the Tempest, which is very similar to the Normandy. And basically, they're promising that once you select a planet on the little mini map, you'll be able to walk from where you are, where the ship is landing, and into your Nomad out with zero loading screens. That's all I want. That's a big, big deal for people that play games and want to explore quickly. So, like, the descent is just going to be longer? <laughs> all right. Maybe. I know. I'm a yeah. skeptic. I'm Thank you for ruining everything. But. <laughs> I'm terrible. That's a crazy cool gameplay feature. And similar to what we could do a little bit in Dragon Age Inquisition, this time around we're not just going to be a hero trying to do a very open world kind of story. We're going to be able to colonize. We're going to be able to build. We're going to be able to create and build a universe that maybe other people will build off of. So I'm really, really excited about that. There's not a lot of details about that. But uh, Liam Brand, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to learn more about the combat? That you'll be able to do or some of the squad mates that you'll be able to meet? Uh, you know, it's a very character-driven game. i got to know more about those squad mates. I'm with him. Okay, so let's start with combat. Um, <laughs> oh. No, we'll do squad mates. <laughs> <laughs> there are two confirmed so far, and there are two suspected as well. We'll start with Liam. Liam. Am I the new squad there mate? There is a squad. It's a, let's see if this describes you. Best squad mate. A former police officer who arrives in Andromeda on the Hyperion. <laughs> He's part of the Pathfinder team and helps with security. He's described <clears throat> as youthful, enthusiastic, and in some cases, a little too idealistic. <laughs> well, that's me. You think that's you? Okay, especially the former cop part. He's he's basically designed to be, I think, um, the equivalency of the Joker 
or not of the Joker, of Joker. Joker, Yeah, Yeah, not the Joker uh, from the previous franchise. He's meant to be a little upbeat, provide some levity, but also really, really emotional and sad. There's an instance here where you're going to have those kind of brotherhood moments where he's got your back. I see him as kind of like the foil for this game of the character, someone who the audience can relate to as entering this new world along with Ryder. So we go from that to... The Asari we've seen so far that has a weird face and eyebrows. Have you checked out this new Asari? Yeah, no, kind of, kind of gives me the creeps. Very, very emotive. Well, her name is PB. Mm, yeah, what a she's, great name. She's an Asari and she's a part of this whole team on the Nexus. She's kind of the lone wolf adventurer, tough chick, super smart. Not, you know, says what's on her mind. Think of Sarah from uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Really adorable, but like a tough, says what's on her mind, smart lady. Who uh, is there because she needs to be? Is she like Garrus? I we haven't seen enough to say she's like Garrus because Garrus was kind of he was cool and subtle and always knew the right thing to say. More Garrus, please. Whereas uh, PB is uh, a little bit do against the rules, fight against the establishment. Oh, like, she's not, like uh, what's her face from uh, Dragon Age Inquisition? The is it literally what I just said? Yeah, Sarah. Really is. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Character Sarah. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> so apt. I said the same thing. Uh, I didn't know her name. <laughs> okay. So those are some of the characters we have uh, confirmed so far. And there's two others. Cora, who's a biotic that's kind of lost her mind. And Drax, or Drac, will be a Krogan that's on your team. So pretty fun. Like, Drax Sklount? Yeah, Drax them Sklount. It's such a Krogan name. It is a Krogan name. So um, that's how, what we know about the characterization so far. There's going to be romances. There's going to be loyalty missions, which you loved from Mass Effect 2. Yeah. Really, really great feature that I enjoy. Tyrians are in the game. Solarians are in the game. Uh, you'll be able to move from different planets. You'll be able to explore those planets. Tons of fun. Biotics. Cool, cool, cool. we got a little bit of time. I want to jump into as quickly as I can the combats. When you played Mass Effect, which uh, class did you normally choose? I actually played like a different one every game, but I liked Adept uh, quite a bit. Okay. This time around, classes out the door. Capiche. You can choose to play the way that you want. You won't have to be limited to vanguards to Adept. You don't need, if you want to wear heavy armor like you did in Mass Effect 1, you have to be a soldier. They're really opening this up. They're giving you a jetpack. They're adding in a dynamic cover system like The Last of Us. You remember that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're just essentially queuing up the idea that combos will be much more immersive. There's still going to be a lot of the number crunching RNG stuff behind, Mm -hmm. but it's going to play a lot more like a Gears sort of game. Okay. A lot more fluid. So that anything else you want to know? Thomas, anything else? No, nothing at all. Liam? I'm stoked. All right. I'm stoked, too. we got to take a quick break. Going to be back more Mass Effect after this. BioWare is famous for making role-playing games that are some of the best in the business. From the magical D&D worlds of Baldur's Gate to the rising empires of Asia and Jade Empire, they are simply a step above the rest. But now, they are perhaps more famous for two franchises, the fantasy game Dragon Age and the sci-fi franchise Mass Effect. Over ten years ago, It is foretold that the doctors who helped create BioWare Ray Mazuka and Greg Zeschek brought their team together and said simply, we want to make a fantasy IP with elves, dwarves, and spells, and a sci-fi game with romance in the stars. 
Writer David Gator and his team took the fantasy IP and through years of work eventually developed what we know and love as Dragon Age. Writer Drew Karpishin was tasked with creating Mass Effect. Today, you'll hear from Drew, along with designer Patrick Weeks and the voice of male Commander Shepard, Mark Mir, on how Mass Effect changed their lives. We knew we had something fantastic. We knew we really liked it. But even we didn't realize how big it was going to become and how expansive the universe was going to become and how much detail was going to add to it. And there are things in there that surprised even me. Um, for example, Cerberus. Uh, from the first game, we didn't really think Cerberus was that important. They were just sort of a, a generic, you know, pro-human terrorist group that we could call on when we needed somebody, when we needed a faceless bad guy. But I don't know, something about them just clicked with fans and, and we sort of expanded their role and, and obviously they became integral to the story. So for me, Mass Effect is something that I'm I'm very proud of helping create, but I'm also really excited about how it's sort of grown beyond anything I ever imagined on my own. Um, and the same kind of said with Commander Shepard's story, you know. Initially, it was a pretty simple story. He was sort of, you know, the uh, the cop. <laughs> the cop in the new precinct, a fish out of water, um, you know, trying to find his way, trying to, you know, the first human specter, trying to sort of fit in, trying to prove himself, sort of a representative for, for all his people. Uh, it's, you know, a pretty common story. Some of the ideas are a little bit wacky, a little bit crazy. I mean, there was at one point some ideas that maybe Shepard was actually an alien, you know, and didn't know it, but we felt that was maybe a little too close to Revan. You know, there was, there was some ideas that maybe... You know, at one point we thought, well, maybe some point Shepard, you know, get, gets his, you know, his essence transferred into some kind of a machine, um, you know, becomes sort of a, a cyborg and, and becomes sort of a bridge between organic and synthetic life, which, you know, kind of is a theme that does sort of play up in the games. But, you know, it's something we thought maybe this is like a whole, maybe that's, maybe that's Mass Effect 2. You know, at one point we thought maybe that's how he survives. something works the payoff is so much more uh, people become so attached to their characters in a bioware game and the story that's unfolding that you know in decisions they make that impact the story have a huge effect on them it really really resonates with the audience so on that level as a writer i know we can you know really leverage anything we do and, and get a, a huge reaction good or bad <laughs> out of the audience and and that's that's a good thing, you know, as an artist, you really want to get that kind of reaction from anyone who's, you know, anyone who's partaking of whatever you're working on. Um, however, having said that, you still need to balance this sort of choice, and it, it is a lot more work. That's one of the reasons Bioware Games take so long. The amount of content is staggering. I don't think people realize, because every choice sort of leads to multiple options, and those lead to more multiple options, and things kind of you know, spiral out of control very quickly if you're not careful.
Around the time of Mass Effect 2, writer Patrick Weeks was tasked with creating some of their most iconic characters, characters that now are beloved by millions of people that showed you how to fight racism and how to fight some of your past. What was originally on paper was he's the scientist who is responsible for uh, fixing the genophage. He couldn't be the scientist responsible for the original genophage because that was a thousand years ago and Solarians only lived to be about 40. And I really didn't want to write him at first. Uh, I was against writing him because on paper he's evil and he is, he is the guy who is responsible for sterilizing the Krogan, and that is ethically reprehensible, and I hated that guy. And what I had to do was say, okay, let's get, let's get beyond the paper. Let's get beyond the fact that this is a guy who did that. Yes, he, he made the genophage. Okay, that's a fact, that's established. Don't make him, don't make him evil. Don't make him, uh, don't make him, you know, evil, evil escape crazy Nazi scientist. Let's look at a guy who, uh, let's look at Oppenheimer. Let's look at someone who made something incredibly destructive and has to get up and look in the mirror every morning and say, yep, I did that and it was terrible and it was the right thing to do. Ultimately, that character, like so many in the franchise, really developed and was able to find some really beautiful, powerful ground with the audience and in the story. As we look ahead to Mass Effect Andromeda, a lot of the team is different, the culture is different, but we're hopeful that this series can reach the same high points that it has the last 10 years. I'm Andy Burkowski, this is VGS, we gotta take a quick break, we'll be back after this. You're listening to VGS on Talk Radio, AM 640. This is VGS After Hours. No, this is still prime time, so don't say anything atrocious. Uh, we just got a chance to hear from some of the people that crafted Mass Effect. Uh, if you know what this uh, tune is, by the way, uh, drop us a line. Uh, VGS at 640toronto.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll give you a shout out next week because it is a little eclectic, but we have a lot of it. If yeah. you know what this tune is, your mother is disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> that is offensive. Okay. So we got to hear from the likes of Patrick Weeks. We got to hear from Drew Carpishan. We got to hear from David Gator. These are or rather Mark Mir, not David Gator. David Gator was talked about. These are the people that made the Mass Effect series. Big, big voices in it. But a big part of the Mass Effect series is the ability to fall in love. Anton, yes. have you ever had a romance in Mass Effect games? I'm not going to ask about your personal life because, frankly, I don't care. Wow. That's kind of mean. But in the Mass Effect games, yes, I have. I am personally a fan of Liara. That is the Asari that is featured in all three games. Mm-hmm. And she becomes... Can I give a spoiler? It's been out for a while. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, she was. She becomes the Shadow bro- Broker, so she becomes yeah. one of the like coolest characters in the game. A real tough one. A real yeah. tough one. I thought that uh, romance was a little bit lacking, <sighs> honestly. I, I liked Liara as well. So <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. Thank Liam? you. Liam? 
Uh, I never really developed any sort of relationship with her. Like, even with anyone, just, like, though? Did you, in this game, did you... Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think that while playing through the first game, uh, it was, like, Ashley just by default. Oh. And, like, she's awful. I, like... Oh. That, that's, like, that's the ex-girlfriend you regret right there. Yeah. <laughs> I am ashamed of you right now. It's yeah, not a real person. she shows up in the second game and it's just really cold and you're like, oh, oh. it wasn't even worth it. <laughs> she's dead in my playthrough. But, wow. um, <laughs> let's go through, because this is, a, in the three games and many of the DLCs, you had the options to I'm sorry you are completely incorrect here just looking at some of your notes uh, Anton uh, you had the option to uh, romance a bunch of different characters so here are all the different characters that you can romance in Mass Effect starting if you're a male you can romance Ashley Williams Miranda Lawson Tali Zori Vos Nima Jack Steve Cortez if you're a female that's Caden Alenko Jacob Taylor Garrus Vicarian and Thane and both, of course, if you are either gender, you are, have the option of Kelly Chambers, Samara, kind of, uh, Morinth as well, Liara, obviously, Diana. Who's Diana? You remember Diana? Diana was... Oh, man, that's going to bother me now. I remember obviously, Diana. no one romance Diana. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Chambers, which is a, a big one again. He has a twice on the list. A very good list. And in the DLC, you have Javik as someone you can romance. That's not true. It was kind of a romance. <sighs> It's kind of a romance. Oh, Diana was the news reporter? Yeah, the news reporter. Oh, yeah, Diana yeah. Allers, who's played oh, by Jessica Chobot. Who, I the never, one you punch, right? I never understood no, how, not how that, that, one. Not that, one. How that romance punch? worked because she would just kind of like come on board and then every time he tried to talk to her, she was like, go away. And yeah. then one day she just leaves. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's romance, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's the life. So we heard about before that in the new Mass Effect Andromeda, the team is trying to provide weird and different and uh, I shouldn't say weird, but any sort of romance that you could possibly think of, whether it's casual, whether it's serious, whether it's with a lot of people, that's a big portion of what they want from their games. Now, I look at all the options I just said. There's at least a dozen, if not more, different people there that have complete storylines that you can be involved in a relationship. And for every Diana Allers, played by Jessica Chobanitz, who Liam hated, there is something that is much, much more impactful. And Shepard, forgive the insubordination, but your boyfriend has an order for you. Come back alive. It'd be an awfully empty galaxy without you. Oh, man. Got some hair standing on the back of my neck there. That is Garrus Vicarian romancing the female. If you're listening to this thinking, like, what are these nerds? These aren't real things. Uh, Mass Effect did a really good job for some characters mm. of making the relationship have weight, I feel like. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm just so in love with Garrus. He's such a hunk. <sighs> okay. And why <laughs> Why is that, though? What, what made him appealing? I don't know. He was, like, he was cool. He was very noir. He was. You know? He was real. He was mystery. like a renegade cop. It was really, yeah. there was something intriguing about it. There was a lot of intrigue with that character. But... We look at what they're trying to offer now with Mass Effect Andromeda, and I can't help but think, are they reaching a little too far? Because, yeah, there's always great characters that you can romance in the other games. But looking at this list, there's also a lot of characters that seem a little bit tacked on. It seems like players are getting a little bit greedy in terms of if they see anything on the screen that has a soul or that's interesting, you should be able to do things to it, damn it, because that's how life works. <laughs> I don't think so. Holy you know, I don't think that's how this works. What about you guys? I think, uh, yeah, even going through that list, um, characters like Diana even are just 
completely unnecessary necessary yeah. like romance options that don't need to be in the game that don't contribute anything. And when we say unnecessary, like even if you look at the Dragon Age series, there was some look at uh, transgender uh, characters in the game, and that was important. And we talked about it as nauseum here. You know, that's all what we're about. But we're just talking about characters that don't have a lot of uh, depth and are tacked on as a pretty face that you can fiddle with. I don't know. I just feel like maybe it's kind of the law of averages at that point. With yeah. so many characters, eventually you're not going to have such a dynamic story like Tally, right? Mm-hmm. Tally has this broad, I guess, story about her racist, uh, racist upbringing, but then you eventually make her into, uh, air quotation, good person, depending on the playthrough. Some you sexism do. in that, but yeah. But but then you got characters. <laughs> no, but we fix the lady. <laughs> Is that so, man? But then you got like Caden, the Canadian who doesn't really have much to really give. But he talks about being Canadian a lot. Yeah, but okay. So there's some yeah. examples. There are ups and downs. His name is almost an anagram of the word Canadian. So there's a few. Uh, yeah, close. There's a few games that I want to talk to you guys about that did this, or excuse me, that didn't. I dropped the same thing again. That <laughs> are great RPGs that didn't include romances. Full at New Vegas, for instance, an incredible game from Bethesda that worked really, really hard to make a world that was vibrant and new. South Park Stick of Truth. Oh, so good. Another <laughs> Obsidian Entertainment game. I feel real, like real strong. the next one will have romance options just to poke fun at romance options. I think it RPGs. will. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little good step. Post meta, so maybe that's not the best example. And then the game that I'm playing right now. Tyranny, which I'm freaking out about. You guys probably won't like You're it. You're in Isometric. love with evil. I mean, but that's the whole thing. I'm trying not to be evil in this game, and it's exceptionally, exceptionally hard because you're not rewarded for it. It's much more difficult. People don't really like you because you're not doing it. Like, there's no one saying, like, yeah, you're standing up for us. It's more like, yeah, you killed millions of us beforehand, and now you're changing your mind. So these are stories that were able to be lifted by the strength of their narratives, and they didn't need those extra kind of um, dashes. What do you guys think about... Actually, we'll go with you, Anton. Let's just list off some games that did romance as well. My personal favorite is the Witcher series. Mm -hmm. Um, Romance was, I wouldn't say an integral part of the series, but at the same time, having these different options really, I guess, made the characters feel more alive. Mm -hmm. So you you had Geralt have a romance with the sorceress Yennefer, and suddenly this magical story about two people doing weird things with a unicorn kind of unfolded and made you want to continue this romance across multiple games, not just one. Yeah, and it's kind of like it, they're more built into the narrative. It's not just like you go into The Witcher 3 and you immediately have like 12 different options of like girls you can romance. It's like these established characters who G- Geralt has like a legitimate past with that makes sense for them to romance yeah so if you're listening now what do you prefer send us a message uh video game sophistry or go online and send us an email video game uh, vgs rather at 640tron.com i think that's it and tell us what you prefer do you want to have tons of options you know explore them all or do you prefer a few that have a sense of history we're going to be back right after this vgs talk radio am 640 Thank you all so much for taking the time and appreciating the Mass Effect franchise. If you're a huge fan of these games that really 
brought a new level of storytelling, then please tell us about it because we always love feedback, especially when it's not hate mail. Send us an email, vgs at 640toronto.com. Head to our Facebook, Video Game Sophistry. Uh, Liam, the brand man, ideally in the next little while, is going to be making some pretty exciting new waves on that platform. Oh, yeah. Going to get lots of little bite-sized treats. I said it on air, so he's got to do it now. A huge thank you to Thomas Hyde. We had so many technical glitches, and he was helping uh, make it all oh, seamless. Makes me sick to my stomach. It really does. He is really happy to be here. <laughs> A huge thank you to Anton, to Hunter, to everyone, and, of course, the minds that made Mass Effect. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I'm Andy Burkowski. This is VGS. Please join us next week. Next up, have some laughs with Inside Jokes. See you then. Without a doubt, the worst episode ever. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes registering my disgust throughout the world.